The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Setting the Record Straight, a podcast of Reconstructionist Radio. My name is Jason Garwood, and I serve as lead pastor of Colwood Church in Cairo, Michigan. This podcast is meant to be an interactive podcast, so if you have questions about covenantalism, theonomy, postmillennialism, presuppositional apologetics, or Reformed theology, please do not hesitate to contact us. You can find us on Facebook at both Setting the Record Straight page or our main page, Reconstructionist Radio. On today's episode, I'd like to take you back about a year. It was a year ago last Sunday, actually. Uh, the anniversary of the Oberfell decision, or opinion, as it were, of the Supreme Court regarding same-sex mirage. Uh, The following audio is my sermon in response to that. Um, Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria. All right, if you have a Bible, please join me in Romans chapter 1. And we will flip to Romans 13 a little bit later. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read a verse, a couple verses from Acts, though. So while you're going to Romans chapter 1, I'll be in Acts 17. <clears throat> this message is called The Profanation of Marriage. Acts 17, 6-8, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. I need to give you three quick statements up front in order to set the tone for where I intend to go this morning. Number one, what is said today is said with brokenness, compassion, truth, boldness, and love. While those definitions of those particular words can oftentimes be misconstrued and mean something altogether different from what they actually mean, I'm convinced that those things can, in fact, coexist together simultaneously. That you can be bold and speak truth and be loving. My heart aches, and yet I know God to be sovereign. Second thing, what is said today is situated inside of the Word of God. We must submit to its authority. Number three, addressing this issue with honest discussion, logic, rationality is how to do it, which means that I'm, I'm not fearful, I'm not scared, I'm not spewing hatred, I'm trying to be a biblical Christian. 
So having said that, I want to start with this. I'm afraid that you have been lied to. You have been told that religion, the Christian religion, is a private matter. You've been told that Christianity is is not something that has much to do with the public square, much less the government, and that you ought to keep Christ to yourself. I'm afraid you've been lied to. How so? You've been told not to talk about religion and politics with people because that's far too controversial, so avoid it altogether. You've been told that the only important thing is knowing that you can go to heaven when you die and not to bother with trying to obey the Bible in all of its facets and all of life. You've also been told, quite forcefully, I might add, that you cannot impose your morality on others, so stay quiet. You've been lied to. Beloved, morality has been imposed upon you. You've been told that Jesus is to be Lord between your ears and behind your nose. Our nation, indeed our culture as a whole, wants you to believe the lie that Jesus is Lord in your head and your heart and only in your head and your heart. We've been lied to and we've been duped. One of the biggest lies the church has bought, hook, line, and sinker, is that Christianity has nothing to do with civil, judicial, and social matters. The Bible ought to be left at home only to be brought out on Sunday mornings because that's the only appropriate place for it. And don't you dare try for one second and say that the truth contained therein has anything to do with modern man because the book that you hold in your lap is both outdated and antiquated. And here we are today, just a couple of days after the Supreme Court of the United States of America decided to make history by redefining marriage to include same-sex couples. To say that marriage has been profaned does not go far enough. Friends, God has been profaned. Look at Romans chapter 1. I want you to understand... One thing I want you to understand is that God is giving over this nation to what it wants. In Romans 1, the Apostle Paul describes the wrath of God in terms of his giving over to people and over of people to what it is they want. Usually we tend to think of God's wrath in terms of fire descending from heaven, consuming people in cities. A rightful image, of course, we can imagine because what God has done in the past, Sodom and Gomorrah being the primary case study. But that's not the only way God gives judgment in history. The Bible teaches us that when God removes his restraining grace from people in order to let them do the most wicked and vile of things, it is, in fact, a pouring out of his wrath upon them. The reason we are seeing the profanation of marriage is because God's wrath is being poured out. Don't take my word for it. Look at the Bible that is sitting in your lap and see just how plain it is. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress 
the truth. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it known to them, right? God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Anapologetos. Without excuse. Without a reasonable defense. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and claiming their, er, and, and their foolish hearts were, were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, because of this, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason, the reason when you exchange the worship of the creator God for the worship of created things, for that reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Friends, this text is abundantly clear. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, a depraved mind, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The passage could hardly be any clearer. Uh, you don't have to go and know the Greek language. The English translation you have is quite sufficient. The issue of homosexuality is not new. But what the Bible says is that one of the marks of a society at large being given over to God's judgment, according to this passage, is when this stuff is paraded. And paraded has been. Niagara Falls, Disney's Princess Castle... Unless it's a princess castle wanting to be a prince castle, I don't know. And the White House all glowed with rainbow colors in celebration of an apparent victory. When I heard the news Friday, I wept. It's only by the grace of God that I am what I am. While many have celebrated, Christians have mourned. And we ask the question, why? Because of Romans chapter 1. Homosexuality is the flag that flies over a nation under judgment. The text is clear. 
You don't have to have a master's degree from a seminary to understand this. To argue otherwise is to assert one's authority over Scripture. And what saddens me the most is that Christians are buying it wholesale. Let me state as clearly as possible the Bible's position. You cannot be a Christian and support sodomy. That is not hatred. That is truth. It is impossible. The Supreme Court has now decided that triangles have four sides and that two plus two is whatever you want. As a Christian, at the most foundational level, you must affirm the scriptures. If you cannot affirm the authority of the Bible as the inspired, inerrant word of God, you are not a Christian, plain and simple. I'm sorry that no one has told you this. It is plain as day. But it runs way deeper than this. The church for too long here in the U.S. has cozied up and become all too familiar with what we'll call the myth of neutrality. In other words, we believe that people who are against God and his will are in a position of neutrality and when in fact they are enemies of God in desperate need of salvation. The church has blindly accepted pluralism. I'll define that. Pluralism is the belief that multiple worldviews can somehow coexist simultaneously without any bit of tension. For those of you on Facebook, you probably saw a touch bit of tension. So not only have we accepted the premise of pluralism, we've celebrated it. How? Well, here's how. By relegating the law and gospel of God to a personal, private, pietistic, religious experience that has nothing to do with the actual world around us. And what I mean is, is since, since we believe Jesus is Lord up... In, since we believe Jesus is only Lord up in heaven we, and not down here on earth and that he exists really only to suit my personal and private little experiences in my personal and private matters containing and pertaining to my heart, because of that, Christ has now been removed from any matters pertaining to social, judicial, and ethical concerns. The church has done this and because of it, much damage has been done. Instead of standing on the word of God with confidence and declaring loudly that everyone from you here in this room to people across Michigan to the very president himself and to the Supreme Court justices, all of them are are to bow their knee to Christ in humble submission to him. Instead of saying that, we've said, hey, they love each other, so why not? This is the pretense of neutrality. We bought the lie that we can have a nation without explicit reference to and worship of God. We bought the lie that there are places here on earth where Christ does not rule over. Listen, if Christ will not be king in this nation, it does not mean there is no king. It means someone else will be king. There is no neutrality, and either you are an Adam or you're in the second Adam. Either you are a covenant breaker who awaits judgment in history and final judgment before Christ, or or you are a, a covenant keeper who possesses salvation only because of the blood of Christ. There is no third or middle option. What happened this past week was nothing short than the suppressing of truth and unrighteousness, as Paul says here in Romans chapter 1. 
five out of the nine Supreme Court justices rejected the very foundation that gives them the ability to even reason. When you reject God, you don't have nothing, you have anything. Already, pedophiles and polygamists are asking for the same constitutional rights. The ink hadn't even dried Friday, and there are already lawsuits coming. No longer is divine revelation in the word of God the, the standard. Human reason, thanks to the Enlightenment, which elevated human reason over against divine revelation, human reason is now the standard. This is what happened on Friday, in case you were unclear. The justices said, what God thinks does not matter. He is not supreme. We are. Flipped to Romans chapter 13 real quick. Romans chapter 13, 1 to 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad except for when they're not. Would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do, do what is good and you will receive the, his approval. For he is God's servant. Okay, that word servant is the same word where we get deacon. The civil magistrate is God's deacon for your good. But if you do, do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. The Bible is not foggy on this issue. Any government and authority that is in, exists is put in place by God himself, and they exist to carry out his law and not man's law. All the way from a local mayor of a small town to the clerk's office to local judges, all the way up to state representatives, the governor, all the way to the Supreme Court, all the way to the executive, legislative, and judicial branches of our U.S. government, all of them are put in place by God under his authority. A government that does not believe itself to sit under God is a government that believes itself to be God. But make no mistake, God is sovereign over history. Daniel 2, 21, God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. The underlying issue here is not simply the issue of the definition of marriage, but the issue of neutrality and authority. It's not that we shouldn't impose morality, but instead, which morality is going to be imposed? All worldviews have and impose morality, even an atheistic worldview. 
All worldviews do that. It's not that just Christians have a worldview that they want to impose on people. It's that all worldviews, even for those who would say there is no God, they all have worldviews that they would impose on others. When you reject God, you do not go into a position of neutrality. You reveal what your God is. This issue is of whether and which. And I'm indebted to Pastor Doug Wilson for helping me understand this. It's not whether, it's which. It's not whether or not we will have laws and policies and procedures and rulings. It's an issue of which God do those things serve. It's not whether America is going to have a God or not. It's a question of which God will America have. You just want a theocracy, we are sometimes told, to which I respond, yes, and so do you. If you reject the creator God, you don't get irreligion, you have self-religion. It's not will we have a theocracy, but which theocracy will we have today? Again, it's not whether or not someone is going to impose morality, but instead which morality is going to be imposed. In his landmark tome, the Institutes of Biblical Law, R.J. Rushduni said this. Listen carefully. Law is in every culture religious in origin. Because law governs man and society, because it establishes and declares the meaning of justice and righteousness, law is inescapably religious in that it establishes in practical fashion the ultimate concerns of a culture. Accordingly, a fundamental and necessary premise in any and every study of law must be, first, a recognition of this religious nature of law, Second, Rushduni says, it must be recognized that in every culture, the source of law is the God of that society. If law has its source in man's reason, then reason is the God of that society. If the source is an oligarchy or in a court, senate, or ruler, then the source of that, then that source is the God of that system, end quote. Did you catch what he says here? Here's his quote. One sentence, the source of law is the God of that society. Which means, as Rushdini would later go on to say, that the implications are astounding. One, a change in law is a change in religion. What happened Friday wasn't the removal of Christianity from the public square and all these other things. What happened was a change in religion. Number two, it is impossible to disestablish a religion from society once the line is drawn. And three, he goes on to argue, there is no tolerance for other religion and laws. Did you notice what President Obama and other supporters of so-called same-sex marriage used as their hashtag online, their message? The mantra of their doctrinal statement was a gospel message. Two words, love wins. And we have to ask the question, as my father-in-law pointed out to me yesterday, if love wins, then who loses? Hate. To say that homosexuality is a sin and that so-called same-sex marriage is wrong and unbiblical is not hatred. 
It is deeply ironic that those with baseless moral absolutes are the ones who judgmentally tell people not to judge while intolerantly demanding tolerance from those who might differ from them. We must move past the characters and the, and the finger-waving and the shouting and instead have a very grown-up conversation about this. Because of all this, I ask the question, How did we get here? In part, the enlightenment of the 17th and 18th centuries propped up human reason as being the only standard for truth. Out of this came moral relativism. If it's true for you, it's it's true for you, but it's not for me. I recently heard a debate on a podcast between a Christian and an atheist, and the atheist admitted, finally, that if the majority of culture decided that it was okay to rape women then raping women would be morally acceptable. He's wrong, but at least he's being consistent. And this is where we're at with our current culture. Truth, ethics, morality, knowledge, and all of these other immaterial things, including logic and rationale, all of it is relativized. Truth is what you make it is on their doctrinal statement too. How else did we get here? Judgment starts with the house of God. As far as the church is concerned, she embraced no-fault divorce, and now our culture is mocking us for it, saying things like, you seem to be more passionate about this issue of homosexuality than you are divorce. Guess what? They're right. We've blindly accepted the premise that marriage is disposable and it's no longer a covenant agreement, but a contractual agreement, no different from a cell phone contract. Not only that, we've given our children to the state, believing that they know what's best for them, when in fact the power of the sword was to be given to the state and nothing else. I read an article recently about second graders in a school being taught that gender is decided by you and how you feel. Second graders. If you have male genitalia, but you feel like you should be a girl, then by all means, start wearing dresses and playing with Barbies. Also being taught to young children, it's okay to come out of the closet. If you're a boy and like other boys, embrace it, be you, and don't fight it. I'm nauseous thinking about it. And some of you may be thinking to yourself, why in the world does he dare preach a message like this? You can't preach politics. Jesus is Lord. It doesn't get any more political than that. Listen, in Scripture, God gave three main institutions, the family, the church, and the state. Three. The family, the church, and the state. The family is the first institution which gives rise to the church and the state. If there is no family, there's no people for either the church or the state. But sometimes the church needs to rebuke the state. Here I stand, I can do no other. When David... King David in the Old Testament, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and covered it up and had her husband Uriah murdered, Nathan the prophet, a member of the church, rebuked David the king, a part of the state. 
He challenged David, and David repented. This is that same moment. Listen, the emperor has no clothes, and I want you to know it. I believe the church needs to wake up. It's amazing how fast our culture is moving. The Bruce Jenner train was moving very fast. It's amazing how fast the good news of so-called love, tolerance, freedom, and acceptance travels in the media. But I want you to understand something. What we are seeing now is simply a revealing of what has been for quite some time. Even when the moral majority held a more conservative view on social issues like marriage and whatnot, those in the moral majority who were supposed Christians were still not living their lives, all of their lives, under the lordship of Christ. How could they? The pretense that we can somehow get rid of all religious doctrine and dogma all in the name of some abstract concept called religious freedom, and yet somehow, amidst all this jockeying for position, have a society that is just and moral and righteous and ethical and upright. The belief that you can have justice and morality apart from the lordship of Christ is blowing up in our faces. Religious freedom means that you are free unless someone else rises up and their religion takes charge. And what is our religion in America? I'll tell you what the God of this culture is. It's a little word called Demas. People. We the people. And who are the priests that administer the sacraments? Who are the priests, the pastors, the people who are instructing the new religion? Nine people who sit on a bench in black robes. I'll tell you what is baffling. We are now to the place in this nation and society where destroying millions of babies is not a problem because it is a constitutional right. Are you kidding me? Is that really where we're at now? Are we really to the place where the the future of our children and generations to come rests on homosexuals being able to marry and build a family? How do you build a family when you can't have children? How do you sustain life for generations to come when your worldview ends in death, the culture of death we have? The Bible does not say, as for me and my house, we will serve the state. The reason, for example, that Peter tells us to honor the emperor, those are the words of of Peter the disciple, he says, honor the emperor. The reason he says that is because the emperor belongs and is property of King Jesus. That's what the story about the coin with Caesar's image on it is all about. Render to Caesar his taxes, sure enough. But Caesar bears God's image and the emperor owes his allegiance to King Jesus. The reason trouble was stirred up in the passage from Acts 17 that I read is not because Christians worshipped a different God. Indeed, there were plenty of gods to choose from in the Roman Empire. The reason trouble is came is stated very clearly in verse 7. They were saying, there is another king, Jesus. To the Michigan Senate and House of Representatives, to the governor and all other elected officials in this beautiful state, we affectionately called Pure Michigan. To the Supreme Court and the federal government with all our subsidiaries and bureaucrats, Mr. President, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. 
there is another king, and his name is Jesus. Any laws that you propose that align with Christ and his word, we will gladly obey. Any laws that contradict the word of God and maligns King Jesus, we will respectfully decline. We must obey God rather than men. And listen, we're not fighting for some generic, uh, run-of-the-mill, abstract, middle-of-the-road morality. What we are up against as Christians in a nation that is not in obedience to Christ. What we are up against is an aberrant morality that seeks to dethrone our Lord. And listen, the culture around you wants you to believe the lie that, that Jesus Christ is Lord in your head and your heart and only in your head and your heart. The problem comes when we say he isn't just Lord in my head and my heart, he is Lord over the world. Listen, Jesus owns everything. Everything. He's Lord of all. Jesus doesn't just want your heart. He wants your head. He wants your feet and your hands. He, he wants your job, your profession, your career aspirations. He wants your spouse. He wants your children. He wants your baptism that you, that you plunged deep into the waters and committed yourself to Christ. He wants, he wants all of those things. He wants your wallet. He wants your mind. He wants your hobbies. He wants all the nations because the nations have been given to him. Scripture commands every man, everywhere, including the members of Congress, the chief justices of the Supreme Court, and even our president, Scripture commands us to repent. And the only person who can change hearts is God. Period. You can't do it. I can't do it. We're terrible at changing hearts. We can't even control our own heart. How are we going to control someone else's? Only God, by the power of his gospel and Holy Spirit, can change hearts. So the question is, what do we do? This is a fairly significant event. To brush it under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist is to do what, unfortunately, the church has done for a long time. So what do we do? What do we do as Christians? I've been asked this several times the last past couple of days. Well, first, we pray a lot. We pray for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that he would uh, turn our hearts back to him. He would, we pray that he would sober us up to the reality of the task that we've been called to, and that is to love and to serve our neighbors What do we do? Well, we, we preach a lot. Remember, we, the church, are salt, and the meat is rotting, having been left out for far too long. We must be salt and light. Well, another thing, we don't, we don't follow the culture that puts emotions and abstractions in front of objective biblical truth. The lie that you should follow your heart is, is really bad advice. The main message, the main principle on which the decision was made Friday was love. Love. Well, that, that's fine. We like love as Christians a lot. You know, I love my wife and my kids. I love pizza. Pizza. 
are those, are those the same? If they are, I probably should not be a pastor. <laughs> if I interact with pizza the same way I do with my family. What does that mean? What does it mean? What, what do you mean by love? How, how do you have love when we're all protoplasm, bags of meat, walking around, evolved from monkeys? How, how is the brain fizz in your head telling you what love is? If it's not anchored in the truth of the word of God, what is it? If this nation is is going to turn to Christ, it must first look to Christ. And it starts here with this church called Callwood. Like no more games. The, the, The line has been drawn very clearly in the sand. We serve the King of Kings, and he has not forsaken us. Listen, the sky is not falling because Jesus holds the sky in place. This isn't about panic and reaction and overwhelming and all these emotions and, oh, we're bigots and hatred, all this stuff. It's not, no, 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 we're, we're calm because Jesus sits on the throne. It's very simple. The profanation of marriage is a symptom of a much deeper issue, and that deeper disease is sin. It's the same sin that cursed Adam and Eve in the garden. When Adam and Eve gave their allegiance over to Satan, when it was supposed to be with God, they didn't stop being religious. They became a religion of self They decided that rather than trusting God to lead them into all truth and thus being truly free, they would much rather serve themselves, believing that true freedom is the casting aside of the bonds of of God, so-called his oppressive chains. The irony, of course, is that this promised freedom to know like God knows was a poison that darkened their minds and destroyed their souls. Yes, marriage is a gospel issue because it is a God issue. Jesus never said anything about this issue. Well, he's part of the Godhead, and the Godhead wrote the Bible, all of it. Can we get adult conversation? Can can we really just sit down and have a conversation that is mature in nature that doesn't immediately get thrown to straw men and ad hominem attacks. Well, you're wrong. Why? Well, because you're stupid. Well, okay, great. You're now in fifth grade. And Christians have done the same thing. This is a gospel issue. It's tied to creation as God made male and female, husband and wife. But, but it's much deeper than that. What we are witnessing is the wrath of God being poured out on souls to wish that they... The wrath of God being poured out on souls who wish to shake their fist in the air and say, we want nothing to do with you. I'm heartbroken. I'm not angry. And... We must continue to unashamedly declare that there is another king and his name is Jesus. Salvation is found only in him. 
You may be called a bigot and you may be told you were full of hatred, but the most loving thing you can do is point someone to the cross of Christ and simply tell the truth. The only thing people should reject is the gospel, not us. Not our hypocrisy, not our, not our condescending tone, not our, our just being a jerk. Let the gospel be the stumbling block. Not you, not me, not us. Let it offend, not us. And so what do we do? We go in love. And love is anchored in service. Greater love has no man than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. We can define love. How do we define it? By the grace of God, we are what we are. That cross was ours. That wrath was ours. We were to drink that cup, every ounce of it. I was to pay the full penalty for my sins against God. Me, a sinner who has fallen in need of grace every single day, We need to be people who stand on the truth, who are bold, who are humble, full of winsome uh, rhetoric, full of humility, right? All, all, all these things we want to understand. But in all of that, we do not forsake the gospel. But we, be, we are Christians that are bold because the message has not changed. Repent and believe the gospel. Uh, history is history is under the lordship of Christ. Someone had said, and I forget where I read this, but you know, you're, we're on the wrong side of history. Christians started on the wrong wrong side of history, right? Burned at the stake, beaten and bruised, persecuted immensely, thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. And yet here is Christ conquering the world still. (laughs) Don't say, what is this world coming to? Let's leave here and say, look who has come to the world to rescue, to restore, to save, to reconcile sinners of which are all of us to himself. There's much grace to be had. Much grace can be given. But here we stand, we can do no other. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts 
where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.